Okay, okay. Uh, it's my first um, moderating panel discussion, so I'll try to uh, be professional for y'all. Um, by a show of hands, who's familiar with NWA? All right, it's a good bit. So y'all know that like within the last year or so, Straight Outta Compton came out. Has anybody seen that? <laughs> okay, uh, so you all are very familiar with N.W.A. Uh, Easy E. He was a founding member. He's pretty much the godfather of gangster rap. Uh, N.W.A. They just uh, what can be said about them that hasn't already been said. I mean, they created the gangster rap genre. They were polarizing. The FBI had them on their watch list because they were not even that dangerous. They were just that talented. They were that. Uh, in tune to what the people of South Central Los Angeles were feeling at the time in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, they come out of Compton, the name of the movie that uh, is based off of their story, Straight Outta Compton, obviously. Now, I mean, y'all seem like a pretty hip crowd, so uh, who in here has seen the movie Dope? Okay, see, now this is not gonna break. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, Dope, that movie came out, I wanna say, 2015. It tells the story of a young high school kid, Malcolm, who's just trying to make it to Harvard University. And it seems like a typical coming of age story, correct? But Malcolm lives in Inglewood, lives in a neighborhood, or part of the neighborhood called The Bottoms. Inglewood is very similar to Compton. They're both adjacent to South Central Los Angeles, and both of them are infamous or famous, however you want to describe it, for uh, portrayals of violence and the dire straits that media likes to portray black Americans as constantly being in. But we have uh, seven crowns and noisy tenants here today. They, I don't want to say they're changing the narrative about Baltimore, because Baltimore has always been a city of communities and neighborhoods and family and togetherness and just looking out for one another, I think that, you know, given context and given what media has done to our city, there's been shoved on our name and these people here are trying to, you know, clean some of that dirt off and show people that are not from here that it's not, you know, if you're from Baltimore, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so I'll be vibrating the panel discussion today. I'll be fielding questions to all of y'all. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I'll sit down and I'll say to everybody else to sit. So the first question I have will be for uh, Seven Crown. It'll be for both of y'all, but how did y'all get started at Seven Crowns? Hello. I'm Siobhan. Um, so Seven Crowns got started because, um, well, we're artists first, we're filmmakers and photographers, and um, after the uprising, we decided to start the documentary project that we'll mention. And um, very quickly into an over-ambitious project, you realize um, you need funding. And how do you fund your art? Um, well, there are many ways that people go about funding their art, but we decided that we wanted to try something, a different model, and we started our own business, which is Seven Crowns. And it was really just a combination of our skill sets kind of uh, being utilized, but the main thing was strategy and production. And if we can create a solution to our own problem, then we can create a solution for other people, other artists in our community who may be dealing with the same problems, which is funding or money or not being a sovereign artist. Um, and so, the Seven Crowns was born, the documentary 
was was uh, started. It started, um, but it wasn't completed. And in the process of starting Seven Crowns, it's taken many shapes. But the the main thing that we realized is that we really just wanted to create sustainable models um, so that we were, we can be self sufficient individuals. And at the at the end of the day, no matter who's doing what, if we are part of a project, the main goal is to set it up so that it's sustainable without. Uh, intervention or funding from other entities. And uh, post-graduation 2009-2010, um, we started off as 3C Productions. So, so focusing on film and theater was what we really were hanging our head on. Uh, we kind of went into the world of theater, we were doing productions in DC and Baltimore, New York, uh, New Orleans and Texas. Um, doing really well in it, but we realized that it wasn't something that we could do sustainably um, and kind of just replace our full-time jobs with and something we really didn't 100% people weren't able to really hone in on what we were great at. So we had an opportunity to work with a nonprofit, um, the Coleman Foundation, which is based in Lyndhurst Elementary School, uh, focused on literacy and pretty much helping youth K through three uh, higher their uh, reading levels. Um, we actually worked with them to create a arts portion to their program, turning children's books into plays. Um, that was a something that took we did. We worked with 60 students, 30 on Monday and Wednesday, two, uh, another 30 on Tuesday and Thursday and we prepared them for a production that would happen in January and one in June. Um, that was the start of us kind of giving back to the youth and kind of really taking our creative side and applying to youth. Um, shortly after that, we were able to get a connection with Mervo, and that's when like, the entrepreneurial side really started jumping out and really, really us being able to tap into students, their, their skills, and being able to leverage that of their abilities to kind of give back and then grow businesses and kind of create their own kind of ownership. Um, so from there, the Greenwood West Community Center connection kind of came in. I'm gonna let them kind of jump in. And, yeah, so we um, we got into Greenbelt West, um, and that started off as just opening up a community center um, that was not being utilized in Greenbelt West, and um, just <coughs> myself, Tisha Webster, the Shawna Jones, we came together um, to essentially open up this this space. Um, and then when we were when we were opening this space, we said we want to bring in folks that are great at what they do and can give back to the youth in our neighborhood because the whole purpose of opening the center was we needed to invest in our youth very quickly and there was an urgency that was that was coming with that so so we opened up the center launched it in, in march um which allowed us to, to have this this platform or this infrastructure to bring in a seven crowns to bring in a noisy tenants and really get to the work okay and oh sorry did you want to ask something mm -hmm. oh go ahead. um so and this is like this relationship between us has been brewing for the last two years. Um, when we first came into filmmaking and things like that, we met Nick. Um, they met Montier and Nick met on the gram because that's where people meet people. Um, and we sat down and we talked about what was the treatment of what the project is called. It's called Thug Myth Project. And the whole purpose of the project was to debunk the myth around the youth that were a part of the uprising, or really just the people that were a part of the uprising, and what it was actually about for them. Um, and pretty much every project that we've had on one side or the other, we've all worked on it together. And the whole point has been to 
create a model where you can have your, because you know, everyone wants to have their own thing. Like, you have a business, you have a business, you back there, everybody has a business. Um, but how are we able to actually use our businesses together so that we can all capitalize and be better together? Um, it's not always about, you know, your name is on something or your name is the, the thing. It's how can we all do it together and we all get something from it. And in the process, how do we affect the community that we exist in positively? And so, um, you guys went down the timeline, so I felt like I should go down one <laughs> uh, So yeah, we started the Dugman Project. We um, worked with other small businesses or entities in Baltimore. And the one that I love to mention the most is Sankofa. If anybody is familiar with the store on 25th and Charles Street, they were closing a couple of years ago. Um, and we went in and we were just like, hey, you know, what can we do? How can we help you? And one of the biggest things about Seven Crowns is always being of service to other people. If we can profit from it, that's great. But the main goal is like, really, what can we, what don't you have that we can give you? And how can that be useful to set yourself up? And so um, we did a three month residency with Sankofa. And in that three months, we re-merchandised the store, we created content, we did all that, you know, kind of fluffy stuff. But the most important thing was this pop-up museum that we created. And it was a, um, it was called Sankofa, which means to go back and get it, and it was for Black History Month. So instead of getting the information that we normally get in Black History Month, let's, let's just take a visit to Africa. Like, let's see what that's about, maybe. And we used the living well as the space in which we, uh, curated a children's museum. From that small seed, which was just a three-day, two-class, because we invited schools from Baltimore City, um, second grade classes to come. They had an hour and a half session. And um, from that small seed, now Sankofa, instead of closing, is also working to open a children's museum. So small things, like how can, and we did that on a very, very, very small budget with this very, very small, small team using whatever resources we had to pull it into that one space for that one week. And so small, small things turn into bigger scale things when we're able to do it together. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, I've been to San Cole before and you guys be able to turn it around for them and give them, breathe new life into the organization, that's that's very that's very impressive. Um, before I move on to the next question, uh, Montia, did you want to add anything? <laughs> okay, uh, so with all the collaborations that y'all are doing together and y'all just been running in the same circles and kind of orbiting each other uh, throughout your entire process, have y'all ever considered just forming one big company? Well, you know, you get a company, you get a company. <laughs> I, I don't think it's necessary. I, I think everyone, because we have different, <laughs> we have different interests and things, you know, outside of the fact that Seven Crown does, Seven Crowns does this thing, we're also, again, artists ourselves. And so we have different projects that we want to work on and, and do that aren't necessarily related to the work that we're doing together, and that's okay, too. To just a, and I think, but we have projects that we take on together that are big projects. So it's not like we have to all come together under this large umbrella. We can 
we can work together and leverage each other's skills, absolutely. I think it's a lot of beauty in collaboration also, because like we're kind of in the same space, but we also have like our own issues, and so it's, it's really cool when we're able to go into a space, Seven Crowns, and then also bring in those tenants, and then likewise, and then, you know, us just being able to work together and learn how we all have our different skill sets and how we can vibe together to create great impact. I think that's just where we are right now. So yeah, the current dynamic also allows us to be critical with each other, and also have conversations that you may not want to have with your business partner or, or maybe tough to have. They, they're able to come in as an outside party sometimes and really tell Nick and I, hey, that's not going to work, but this needs to change or that's not realistic and vice versa. So I think us kind of operating this way allows us to really tap into everything that we can do and kind of max out. So you think that uh, collaboration, while it removes a certain level of professionalism, it maintains the creativity and respect? Absolutely. Okay. Okay, all right, good, good. All right, so, um, Noisy, this next question is going to be for you. Um, y'all have a lot of initiatives that are benefiting the community. Can y'all talk about um, Bus Stop, Buddies, uh, Noisy Lemonade, and Noisy Burger? Yeah, so, I'll start with Bus Stop Buddies. Um, that was, uh, it was started by Keisha Webster. Um, and, and there was, so we have a, we have a bus stop, um, Barclay and Pittman, and we, we had this meeting a bit ago where that ultimately said that we need to invest in our kids. So part of that was saying we need to go out to the bus stop with them in the morning. We need to spend time with them. We need to dialogue with them. We need to see what's going on in their lives and just build that relationship essentially. Um, so, you know, right when I started to dive deep into this into this work, I, you know, I kept on getting invited, you know, come out to Bus Stop Buddies. Um, and it's just been something where we, we, we continue to, we've gone, I started to go out there, we were out there. Um, and there was days where, you know, last year the bus, it just wouldn't come sometimes, or it would come 10 minutes late, so it started to become this thing, now we're gonna, we're gonna walk our students to school at a certain time when the bus doesn't come because they're not getting to school on time, or we're gonna make sure that they get to school so that they can get their breakfast. Um, that was last year. This year we're really making an effort to get the statistics on it, you know. Uh, we're tracking the bus time. What time does it come every day? Um, we, we, we want to know how does it affect grades, how does it affect, you know, behavior. Um, so we're using, really using it as a platform to see, like, how does the start of the day really um, contribute to the, the, tra the trajectory. Um, noisy Lemonade, these were all kids in our, in our neighborhood anyway, so um, very interested in entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. If the question was, you know, what are the options for six to 13 year olds as far as the business goes in their community. Um, the ones that I've seen, you just have drugs, um, nothing, still in packages. So now it's like, how do we take this energy and, and put it into something, you know, simple that they can learn from? So, you know, lemonade stands are your, are your first business essentially. So we, we said, we said noisy lemonade and, and it's kind of been, um, it's, it's evolving at all times. Um, you know, we're, we're really trying to push financial literacy. When kids come and they, they, they work with this, they need to have a bank account. Um, it's not acceptable for them to be go, going and cashing their checks at liquor stores anymore. They need to understand how that works. Um, you know, eventually we're building creditors. I just really dive deep into not just the lemonade, oh, that's what I'm excited about, but I also realize everything else that comes with it that, that needs to be taught as well. Um, and all that Chris kind of talked about Noisy Burger and how we got there. So Noisy Burger started at Mervo. You guys are familiar, it's a trade school, about over 25 trades. 
things ranging from cosmetology, uh, electrical construction, masonry, carpentry, uh, culinary arts, commercial baking, and it goes on. Um, we were able to have access to 12 of their commercial baking seniors. Um, we actually were, they had a last period that's work study. The teacher informed us that she didn't really have anything planned for them during that period, and then we, she kind of invited us to come in and kind of take over and do what we wanted to do, which is great. We had a meeting with the principal and kind of pitched this very lofty idea of something, and he kind of said, if you guys want to give it a shot, give it a shot. Um, so we did, so every Monday and Thursday we'd be at Marvo from uh, 1.35 to 3 o'clock and kind of start that process. It started off very, very minuscule. We didn't really know what it was going to be. Uh, so we essentially started off with building relationships with the students. We, they made it very clear that we had to, they had to trust us in order for this to work. Um, we came in asking them these lofty ideas. What do you guys want to do? What do you guys want to accomplish this year? And by the end of the day, they were like, are we really going to do this or are we just talking? So Nick and I took that as a challenge. We used homecoming as our way of kind of getting through the door with them. And that was talking to them about homecoming had been the same thing for them for three years prior to this. And they wanted it to be different. So we asked them what they want to see. They said they wanted to do an outdoor movie night. Um, so we, we kind of talked through the process of what that would look like, getting it approved by the school. And then logistically, you know, finding a vendor, identifying all the electrical needs, security, concessions, all that fun stuff. Uh, drafted an email up, reached out to the principal, and they approved us for that Friday to do the outdoor movie night. So that was the start of the process. And then from there, we built, built out, you know, how do we find a whole movie to, to, to um, show? So they decided to do a Twitter poll. Twitter poll for four movies, and pretty much working through the entire process to get to the actual homecoming day to do the film. It was a great success. About 300 tickets were sold. Um, they were concessions. Um, they managed the entire project security and everything. We had a drone flying, getting footage. So it was great. That was the start. After that, they believed they loved us. They were like, hey, these people are real. They're talking that they didn't just come in and tell us a dream. Um, so from there, Nick and, Nick and I said, how do we leverage what they've been doing here for three years and take it to the next level? And that's commercial baking. And so we, we mentioned around the same time our house was about to open, um, Nick actually came across the, the, the website and reached out kind of cold to uh, Stephanie at our house saying, hey, you know, working with some commercial baking students at, at Maribel, and we want to find a way to max out what they've been doing. So we, she gave us a tour before they opened up. We kind of pitched the idea of saying, hey, what would, what would it look like for us to do a pop-up here? She said, hey, I would love it if we can make it work. Nick and I knew that we kind of could do it, but they didn't know. So after winter, right after Thanksgiving break, we, winter break, we kind of came back to them and said, hey, guys, are you interested in going to a restaurant? They said, yes. We're like, all right, well, let's see if we can get in. So we kind of broke them up into four groups. Each group was tasked with presenting a five-slide deck of a restaurant. So each restaurant came back. Uh, we had four different options. There was a pasta restaurant. There was a burger restaurant, there was a deli, and then there was a um, hot pocket restaurant. Too much sauce was, too much sauce was pasta. Drop top, sub shop was the deli. Uh, put it in a pocket was the hot pockets, and burgers for you were, was the burger spot, which eventually became Noisy Burger. Um, and so once we identified, we kind of, we had people come in, to, uh, the teachers were there, the principal was there, so kinda, as they pitched the, the ideas, we kind of narrowed down what made sense. If you guys don't know, like the, at our house, the restaurants have like, exclusivity to their dish, so certain pop-ups can't sell what can't sell tacos at our house because there's already tacos but you can't sell chicken because there's already chicken spots. So we kinda had to use those parameters when we were building it out with them. And once we decided burgers was the best one, we kinda took it to the next level, which was like, okay, what does the menu look like? And you know, you need to get it, it needs to be made in five to eight minutes, it needs to be quick, um, it needs to be efficient, it needs to be good. Um, so we kinda went through we brought in flavor testing, we figured out what sauces we use, um, we had to identify where we get the beef from, what what where we get the beef from, what to be local, what to be fresh. We decided to use rosetta beef, which is local and great. Um, we also wanted to do fries. Originally it was, let's do fresh cut fries. And, and then this, that sounded like a great idea until we learned what the process of fresh cut fries looked like. <laughs> and so we were like, let's, let's kind of, and, and, th and this process actually happened through dialogue. We, we, let, we let them present it and we would talk it through. Like, let's figure out, let's, you want to do fresh cut fries? Let's do it, let's research it. And they were coming back and then we'd say, hey, is that, is that realistic what we're trying to do, what we need to accomplish throughout the week? 
Um, and so that kind of started the whole thing. We got to uh, May, April 26th from there, and we didn't realize that on that Friday we could make the cover of the Baltimore Sun, um, and that really kind of took made it kind of go crazy. We blew our entire inventory that, that day. Uh, <laughs> our, our butchers closed on the weekend, so we had to plan for the weekend. We didn't plan on the cover the cover story, so that was another t another learning a learning process. So by that Friday evening, we only had about a hundred burgers left to get us through the weekend. So we had to figure out what is the fix for this. Um, it ended up being, we had like a little team meeting afterwards that night and it kind of came up with, is there any other, any other way we can get bulk burgers? One of us, I went and got a Sam's Club account, which was a, which was the consensus was, Sam's Club account, we bought cases of fries, cases of burgers. Solving problems. Solving problems, exactly. So, <laughs> I, I really, in that situation, we let them, we, it was kind of give and take. We, we, we did leverage our, our um, the quality of our product because we couldn't have rooms that had beef that weekend, but we also didn't want to shut down. So in that in those conversations we talked it through, we talked it through with them. And then I did that's the, the idea of the program is saying, hey, let's 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 take what you guys have been working on in theory for, for three years, let's let's implement it and then take and then learn from it. And then also at the end of it say, hey, this can be yours. Today Noisy Burger still has like people still want it to be places, still want it to run. And we also offered the opportunity to the students who went through um, to still be a part of it and want if they want to see what the next levels of it are, we're open to seeing them through that process as well. So and we were able to donate $1,500 to Green Mountain Community Center for that, which is really cool. It seems like with those initiatives, every step of the way, there was no, um, there's no like hubris involved. It, it just all seemed very selfless. And at every at every step of the way, you just making sure that the decision that you were making, I mean, of course, they were the best for you guys, but also the best for the consumers and, and the end, end user. Uh, my next question, I have uh, uh, Mathieu and Siobhan lead off with this. How did you come up with your name? Because uh, Seven Crowns sounds very, sounds very regal. Noisy tenants, I've never had tenants, uh, but I've had noisy neighbors, and they drive me insane. Uh, so I'll start with you. How did you come up with the name for Seven Crowns? Uh, so Crowns is just synonymous with royalty, and we're both women, and we see ourselves as queens. And the number seven, um, there is a lot of uh, just symbolism with the number seven in my family and my life, um, and in Siobhan's. Her, I think her number, like number, life path number is number seven. So um, just you know. What is a life path number? <laughs> so it's uh, basically like numerology. So you use your birth date. Um, your birth date, your birth time, and then you add all those numbers up where you're born, and um, once you add those numbers up, uh, you get to a single digit, so if you have like 13, it will be one plus three, and it'll be four. So like my life path number is four, <coughs> hers is seven, and so, oh, okay. seven pounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, understandable. So, uh, Noisy Tenants, how'd y'all come up with your name? So, we, we we came together in Plan Productions, and it started off as apartment, it was his, it was our partner's, uh, his company was Apartment 3C, and we all kind of came together, and we're like, it's a little too personal. We're gonna we're gonna be noisy tenants, um, <laughs> so we can still keep the you know the the house the theme going. It's kind of evolved from that. Um, now that we're in communities, we're in schools. Noisy tenants is um, we don't see noise as a bad thing necessarily. If you walk through if you walk past the class and it's and it's noisy, that means some ideas are being shared. That means you know people are talking, they're communicating. Um, whereas um, Traditionally, noisy is, is, is a bad thing. Um, so we're really trying to 
own the word and, and, and change the context. Change the context, yes. <laughs> yes, so Noisy Tennis is growing. The rooster is the logo. It just all started to come together. You know, early bird gets the worm, that, that type of deal. So, Noisy Tennis. Okay, gotcha. That's great. Um, now, this next question will be uh, for both of you. Um, what was it like, or what was the process behind um, developing the, the your very own film festival and having it take place in the Charles Theater? Was that noisy or was that Seven Crowns? So, I, I knew I always wanted to do a film festival and we had always talked about it, so I was walking by the Charles Theater one day and I asked them, can we reserve the, the, the space? And, then I brought it back to the team and was like, We're, let's, let's figure this out. And, and we went from there. I knew I wanted it to be community-based, um, tell stories, and that was kind of the rough theme. And then we, we, went, we went from there as a, as a group. Yeah, it was a natural kind of thing, seeing as how we're filmmakers. So of course, let's do a film festival. Um, but, it was interesting because the first day, the first version of our film festival, the first day, was something like a disaster. Um, but we took it in Greece. Uh, the films, like technical difficulty, things like that. Um, and we were also screening a film, so we were kind of just sitting in the audience when Nick decided, like, we're just gonna pull the plug this day. So we did it again a um, couple months later or sometime later, and it was actually really good. And the films that we showed were pretty much mostly all community-based films. Um, people, uh, people who uh, are local to Baltimore or uh, from this area, and it wasn't even a planned thing, but the thing was kind of centered around the work that people do in the community. So the pizza tour, um, pizza party tour, um, the work of Bus Stop Buddies, our film, um, Humble, Long Never Love, uh, which is a film about the Cherry Hill community and what's going on there in the community center. Um, and so that theme, I guess, is kind of what Will was attracted to, because he was also there and asked a very good question in our Q&A. Um, so, yeah. Now, when you're talking about the film festival, you mentioned that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you mentioned that one of the days, like, there's a lot of technical difficulties and uh, use the word disaster. Um, what was it like just moving through that and in spite of uh, those setbacks, just carrying it on and trying to um, put out that product. Because I know that it can be difficult, especially for a creative, because you have an idea of what you want in your mind and you're just like, it has to be perfect. And then when it's not, you're just like. Yeah, in this process, I've learned to just be really nice to myself. Um, you know, things happen. And it wasn't ideal, it wasn't what we wanted. Um, we were very disappointed. I think you might have been the most disappointed. I was extremely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the, what it was for me is that I didn't want to present somebody else's work in a, in a like the sound was off. It was just like I this, you work hard on this. I don't, I don't feel comfortable presenting it in this manner. So we're gonna we're gonna pull it and we're gonna do it right. Okay. Now, I want to move on back to the uh, topic at hand, which is context. And I want the, each of the camps to uh, talk a little bit more about 
what y'all are doing to improve and change the idea of context about black Americans and Baltimore, because Baltimore is a predominantly black city. Uh, so, so what are y'all doing to help um, change that context? Wow. Um, well, first and foremost, I know for Seven Crowns, it has been completely circled around storytelling. Um, making sure that we're, we're giving people opportunity and space in whatever form that may look like to be who they are in their own truth, right? Um, that comes in our, in, for us in image making, in filmmaking, in um, production and when we produce making sure that we're producing an event that's for us by us or including us in some kind of way um, I think with the work that we're doing in Green Mile West currently with the BMA the Green Mile West Community Center Mark Bradford the artist um, that that just kind of took us to another level with how creative we can get in creating our own models of uh, success within the community for the community. I think uh, for me it was, it's, it's definitely access, it's, you know, the context, it's, it's, um, it's, it's working with these young people who, you know, on apps such as Nextdoor, they're, they're very quickly debating how they can call the police on them, um, or what they're doing wrong, or having a meeting with 60 people and, you know, a very small number wanting to do something about it. So it's 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 saying, okay, come on and let's build this relationship and let's um, find out what you're great at, because um, they're all great at something. They all are interested in something. All the youth and, and let's let's hone this. Let's let's put it in a direction and let's you know build bridges and connect the dots and figure out what we can what we can do as a community. Um, I think it's important to know that we're artists first, and so. Whenever we're able to go into spaces and create an imprint, it's kind of like our canvas. And so that looks like our micro businesses are sustainable solutions that we're creating for physical spaces. And so with that, um, you're able to kind of create value. And you're able, once you're able to create value, you're, you're understanding like who you are as a person. You're starting to think about your narrative and you're starting to be empowered by yourself. And so all those things are used to shape the narrative and we want people to be vocal about it. We want people to share who they are and people to own who they are and own their communities. And so for us that that's the main goal. And also taking that and find identifying what they're great at and being able to bring pour resources into that to grow it and initially taking it eventually taking those resources to grow that skill, that path that passion and allow them to use it to become better people themselves. And I wanted to say um, you know, it, it like feels really cool to sit here and to kind of just gloss over everything. But um, this is not necessarily easy work. People work is not easy work because um, you're not just coming in and saying, oh, we have these great ideas and we want to like push go on it and make it work. Before you can even do the work, you have to deal with the people. What do the people need? Um, in this instance, we're, we're working with youth, and we're working with youth who live in a low socioeconomic environment, and so that comes with a bag of challenges, and you don't know which challenge hits what person in what way on what day, and so physically being in the community center Monday through Thursday, 
from 3 to 6 p.m. feels like being there for eight hours because you're, you have all these little people and little personalities and they need to be heard, they need to be up, given affection and, and they're tough, and they're tough. And this is the thing that scares people from coming into that space and being consistent with them every day. And so that's the work really. Before we even get to the programming, before we get to you know, all the high level stuff, that's the work. It's how do we even, you know, just going into Marvel, it took them some time to get high school kids to trust them. These are, these are tough kids. These are like, no, you're gonna work for this. And so, um, that, that changes you, that humbles you, that makes you more flexible and more um, open and empathetic and aware and when you can do that work first, it makes everything else much easier. Absolutely. Um, we're gonna open it up for Q&A in the audience, but uh, everybody just give seven crowns. for this opportunity. Really quick before I start the Q&A, uh, Will Walker, he is my guest for my Local Color podcast. He's the 50th episode. I didn't think I would make it that far. Find it on the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, however you get it. Uh, so we're going to open the floor up for uh, question and answer around now. Anybody has any questions? Uh, should we give her the money? I would probably yell. Okay. Thank you both for your presentation. Um, your, your journey was, was really interesting to hear. I'm interested in hearing more about your, your process for funding. Um, how, how is it that you have the funding and, and time and energy to spend the amount of time that you do I just had a day job. That is so crazy. <laughs> you raised your hand and you asked that question. Um, I feel like I didn't have an answer. Um, so, okay. The first two, again, Seven Crowns started Seven Crowns to be able to fund ourselves. Um, to not only be able to fund ourselves, but to fund our art, but to fund our lives. Because in order to do this work, I can't work a full-time job for someone else unless it's related to the work that I'm doing. So I've been very fortunate to be compensated for some of my time in Green Mile West just in terms of providing programming. Even though I'm there and I'm, I'm compensated for that, I'm doing a million other things because what needs to be done trumps what sometimes is the purpose of being there. Um, so that all those little things help. Um, when it comes to partnerships and, and such, working relationships help the resources that they're able to bring to you. Everything isn't always money, like solid hope, you know, money, cash, or anything like that. Sometimes it's just resources and network and people bringing in things to, to help push whatever it is you're doing further. Um, for us, it's kind of been self-funding to start. Um, identifying projects and then saying we're going to need this much money and kind of going out and finding it whether it be in our own pockets or, or tapping a family member or just people and saying you know we're going to give you the business saying we're going to give you this much percent back on it um, most recently i've been able to do this um like full time and dive in as, as part of a, a 
a fellowship with Baltimore Corps. So um, it allowed they allowed me to create a position in Green Mountain West where I can really focus and say this is the work that I want to do and, and just get to it essentially, and not have to worry about the day to day of you know, pain.
let's list out all of these ideas you guys want to do. And she was just so disconnected the entire day. And I was I really wanted her to be a part. Like everybody else in the room was pretty good, but I really wanted her attention. So um, by the end of the movie night, she was so like a part of this process. She was like, you know, this is real. Like you guys are about your thing. Like you guys really told us something, and we walked through this process, and now it's real. Um, so I think in that moment, I realized like, okay, this is something that if we, even though we're gonna have some pushback, like this is really where it's at. And as long as you, as long as we do our part, it'll it'll work out. So that's good. Um, my name is on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> shout out to Jules. Um, <laughs> so so. You know, Jules is one of the students who's at Bus Stop Buddies with us and that we've I've kind of been trying to develop a relationship with. So, you know, every day I'll ask Jules to do something and he'll fight me on it and he'll fight me on it. And then I'll say, uh, you know what, all right. And he'll be like, okay, Miss Nick, I'll do it. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just that moment where it's like, all right, cool. Like, you, you, you're gonna, you're gonna, you get that I'm trying to, you know, benefits you. You might want to do this song and dance with me for a minute, but you're, you're going to get with it and you understand what, I'm, what it is that I'm trying to do. I would agree that they happen pretty often. Um, I'm, okay, so being in this position, um, I'm oftentimes aloof to the magic of it all until it like hits you in the face. And you're like, oh, I just did that? <laughs> How? Right? Um, and, and the first thing I thought about was Sankofa. Okay, so literally a month before the actual pop-up exhibit or museum exhibit, I, it was just the idea on a piece of paper. Um, and I said, this is what I'm going to do. And at the time, we were all still very scattered because this has been a process of getting to this polished version of ourselves we've been figuring it out as we go but when that happened um it was much less communication it was more like i just need you to do that and like this is all in my head kind of sort of so when i put it on paper and i realized okay this is something i can do this is the working ball that source the materials we got a short very short small budget to do it which was our money um and then to, to go and make it happen and then see it come alive and then see the first yellow bus pull up and the kids hop off, it was like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. They're here. They, and then to get through the first hour and a half, like, and the teachers loved it and the parents who were there, chaperones loved it and them wanting it. They, it, was a, it was now we want this. Where, how can we do this again? It was like, oh, you really like this? This was just a, a silly idea. Like, I didn't even know it was gonna actually work. Um, it's like moments like that, that kind of, you know, just change the game for you. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm on mission. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And so being in the community center now is kind of the same way. I mean, I thought I knew what I was doing and then I realized like I'm going to actually learn a lot more in this process than I'm going to give probably. And they're going to teach me, they're going to teach me what I need to be doing next. And um, you know, I remember when we first came into the center and they would not deal with me at all. And then there's moments where they run up to me and give me a hug and it's like, you like me? <laughs> you, you like me today? Like, okay. And so, you know, I guess it's those moments. 
for me, um, I think the topic is really consistency right now. And so um, when Shabbat and I first started out, uh, we were both independent freelancers. And so we sat down and realized that, okay, our skill sets actually work better together as opposed to working independently. And so then I was one person on the, on the team, you know, so that's solid. And then I met with Nick and the thing with me and Nick is that it happened, it was so it was so happenstance. And then like us just hanging out and just meeting consistently, talking through ideas, um, really putting a plan together for how we want to start moving and then uh Sankofa and being able to plan to see with the pop up museum and then seeing Miss Esther actually like take that over. And not only is her business now thriving still, she's also working on opening the children's museum. And so just uh, being able to see that the, the little work that we're doing is actually being just so impactful, like so watching for a lot of people, that's the thing that really keeps me going. And then also like with the Scream on West project, um, the kids just show up every day. They just keep coming back. And so that's, <laughs> that's just a, a testament that something is going right. You know, they're looking forward to us being there. They're Look, you know, even though some days can be a bit challenging, the, the end result is that they come back the next day. And that's really good. Uh, sorry, Matt? Yeah, I heard you mentioned uh, your collaboration with Mark Bradford. I was wondering if you could just talk a bit how that project sort of happened and what it's going to look like. So, I'm going to start. It's still developing. We're still figuring out what that looks like. Um, as far as how it happened, they came into our community, um, his team reached out. Um, we brought them into the center, and they just—they really were feeling the vibe. They—they vetted us. They—they—they they, they looked to see that we were really about the work that we were doing, and you know, we checked out, and then they just—the the relationship started to grow from there, and it's still growing. We're still determining exactly what it looks like and, and, and how it'll move. Um, we just got back from—that's uh, where we were. We were seeing Mark Bradford in his his studio as well as his foundation art and practice which is amazing um, he's doing great work at Lemon Park um, and we're just trying to use each other as a resource I want to learn as much as I can from them and it's it's, it's developing right now and uh, you have a question yeah um, you guys are great uh, natural disruptors um, have definitely um, kind of shown that you guys create and own your own narrative um, can you guys speak to the approach that you have with your youth around creating and owning their own narrative going forward? I'll start. So in, in programming, in our space, it is very much driven by what they are passionate about. So, you know, sitting, you know, Keisha will sit down with the, the kids and, and playing Play-Doh and they'll be, you know, making food. So now we know we need to have food programming in here. Um, we took them, we brought them here to a, uh, they, uh, they, they laid a rap track, uh, uh, they did a rap, a rap song, and we're like, okay, we need, we need to get some music programming there. So it's really, it's paying attention to them, it's having conversations with them, it's building relationships so that we can know who, who they are on an individual level, as, you know, and that, that kind of forms where we go with everything. And to pick back off of that, we realize too that sometimes a lot of these youth have never been asked like what they want, um, and, and then had to be, reciprocated what actually had happening or seeing a version of it. So it's really tapping into them and having them be able to just tell us what they want, what they want to see, what they expect, and then kind of piggybacking up or kind of coming behind that with things that look like that. And really small stuff, like they were like, we want snacks. I'm like, okay, we'll bring snacks. And they did it the next time, the next time they, there was a session, there were snacks there. So wow, we, we asked for something and we got it. And that's very small, but in the, in the, then you slowly kind of 
throw things in that require work to get what you want, and they kind of just start building on itself. Um, I guess in terms of showing children or the youth that's in the community center how to own their narrative, I feel like it for me is less about um, programming or giving them what they want in that regard, but kind of giving them language to the things that they want, like owning your narrative in that way. So. Um, when we're all together, I have like a set that I call my Golden Girls, um, and they all like went home and chose which character they were of the Golden Girls. But then they do mean things, like they'll they'll exclude somebody because she can't be a part of the Golden Girls. Like it's already set, and so then we have a conversation around changing that narrative. Like what does that mean? Like why can't this be? something else like why can't we decide to add another character or why can't we decide to not be mean and, and exclusive but figure out a different language to be used in those moments so I feel like that's my contribution to narrative changing in that space sometimes thank you um, we're gonna have to wrap it up that's our time but once again I want to thank everybody for coming out and I'll head it back over to uh, your host Will Walker All right, everybody, please give another huge round of applause for the panel and the highlighters. Uh, once again, thank you for everybody that's on our panel, our moderators, for being a part of this experience. We're now alumni, so please spread the word about Creative Mornings, uh, you know, what we try to bring to the table. And again, we'll try to continue to post about what the work that you guys are doing in the community. Uh, but again, continue to keep doing the amazing work, you know. A lot of people say, I wish that I could do this or I wish that I did that, but you know, all you have to do is just get up, stand up, and do it. So thank you for being people that are leading by example. Thank you so much. Um, to you, the crowd, thank you guys again for uh, sticking with us. You know, We've been going through a lot of uh, transition with uh, leadership, um, growing, and things of that nature, uh, different experience in different locations. Thank you so much for being a part of this three-month residency here at uh, the Motor House. Um, thank you for uh, spending your time with us on a Friday morning. Um, guys, uh, we want you to, if you are uh, already following uh, us on social media, please continue to do so. Um, if not, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Baltimore underscore CM. Um, and I think that's about it. So stay tuned uh, for what we're going to post next month and for the next month's topic. Um, stay tuned for all of the, again, the amazing work that's done here by our panel. Um, Jason, uh, our moderator, um, again, uh, what we'll be posting here for Motorhouse in the upcoming future. And again, thank you for being a part of the Creative Mornings community. Um, enjoy your Friday, enjoy your weekend. Where's the next guys. Noisy Burger? Yes, next, next Noisy Burger is thir Thursday through Sunday. So please come to support, we're looking. Thank you, Keisha. <laughs> <laughs> next, next Noisy Burger is Thursday through Sunday. Please come, please come support. We're trying to raise, I think, $15,000. What's the date exactly? Thursday the 20th through the 24th Where? Uh, at our house in Remington in the pop-up stall. We're trying to raise money for a computer lab in the computers in the community center. So um, all proceeds are going towards a com uh, computer lab. Is she the manager? What's that? Is she the manager? Yeah, she had all these sales. Yeah, so she need a raise. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so please, please come to support. Uh, but once again, guys. Thank